Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the Opperman Report. Join digital forensic investigator and PI Ed Opperman for an in-depth discussion of conspiracy theories, strategy of New World Order resistance, high-profile court cases in the news, and interviews with expert guests and authors on these topics and more. It's the Opperman Report. And now, here is investigator Ed Opperman. Okay, welcome to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, private investigator, Ed Opperman. Uh, this show is brought to you by Audible.com. You can go to audibletrial.com, front slash Opperman Report. Sign up for free, get yourself a free audio book. Uh, tonight, this is one of our special shows that we're doing pre-recorded that will be in our members section. And then it'll go into rotation. It'll be playing on uh, CBS Radio, Para-X, 7 p.m. Uh, Saturday nights, uh, late night in the Midlands on Tuesday afternoons at 4 uh, FPRN uh, every day, five uh, days a week, Monday to Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Penny Entertainment on Blog Talk Radio on Sunday mornings uh, at uh, 10 a.m. And um, let's see who else would carry it. Um, I think that's about it. But it'll also be up on iHeart and Spreaker uh, after it plays uh, in our members section. Uh, so today we have with us uh, Kathy Scott who's the author of all these different books, Murder of a Mafia, Daughter, uh, The Story, The Suspicious, The Suspicions, Robert Durst Murdered Susan Berman, The Life and tra- Tragic Death of Susan Berman, uh, Murder in Beverly Hills, uh, The Mob Style Execution of Susan Berman, uh, Her Crime Boss Father, and The Deadly Secret She Took to Her Grave. Uh, another book is Hot-Blooded, Cold Crime, uh, the, the True Crime Box Set. The Millionaire's Wife, the true story of a, a real estate tycoon, his beautiful young mistress, and a marriage that ended in murder. And another book is uh, Death in the Desert, the true story of money, murder, and mystery in Sin City. Uh, Kathy, are you there? I am here. Thank you so much for coming on, Kathy, especially at the last second. I just invited you this morning. <laughs> okay, and I know you did another interview earlier before this. Uh, so thank you very much. Uh, yeah. So can you tell the audience a little bit about your background and, and uh, all these different books you've written and stuff? Well, I'm a journalist by trade, and um, I was a reporter in San Diego and um, moved to uh, the Las Vegas Sun in, in the 90s, uh, early 90s. And in 1996, uh, Tupac Shakur was shot on my watch, and uh, he was a hip-hop artist and at the top of 
sort of peaked at that point, and he also was uh, had been in some movies. So I wrote a book about him. That was my first book. Made the LA Times bestseller list, and then six months later, rapper Biggie Smalls was killed, and I wrote a book about that, and I've been writing books ever since. Yeah, my audience is very familiar with uh, Tupac uh, and uh, the Tupac murder and stuff like that. We had John Potash on a couple of times. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and what about the other one, the, um, the Sin City murder? Is that about the, uh, the Binion murder? Uh, yeah, um, well, it wasn't a murder. <laughs> he <laughs> died of a self-induced overdose. I sat through both trials. But yeah, that was uh, Death in the Desert, and that was made into a film that should be out this year. And uh, it, yeah, I sat through both trials and walked into the trial thinking that uh, someone had murdered him, and I walked out knowing that someone had not. So it was, an, it was a fascinating uh, case to follow it. And, and I followed that for a newspaper and then, and then turned that into a book as well. And, and you were living, because I live in here in Vegas right now. So you were living in Vegas at that time? Because it says also. I, I was living in, well, I was living in Las Vegas. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Because yeah, I saw it also too. You were a professor over at uh, uh, University of Nevada. Yeah, I taught, um, I taught journalism for five years um, and uh, really, really enjoyed that. And, and then um, in, in uh, September, August of 2005, Hurricane Katrina happened and an animal rescue group asked me um, to write for their magazine and website and go down there for two and a half weeks. And I stayed for four months, and it um, and that turned into the book Paw Prince of Katrina. And I left my teaching position at that point to stay down um, in the Gulf. So pretty much, you left a, a really good job to go down and rescue uh, animals. Well, I rescued and I wrote about them. I mean, I was down there to write about them, but you know, I was in boats, I was on foot. So when you're in the midst of it, you end up doing both. Ended up reuniting because I was. I was writing about the animals, so I ended up reuniting with a lot of them with their um, with their people. So it was quite uh, an experience being down there for that long. And um, I, I love New Orleans. I love the people, and I love their pets. Yeah, and then, I've only visited. Yeah, and then I. Um, I'm sorry. I, I was saying I've only visited a couple of times. It is a beautiful town. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite a, it's quite a city. I just. Uh, uh, every time I fly into New Orleans, I look down and and I, it feels like I'm going home. I mean, I it was quite a time um, spent there, and I've got friends I made for life who were volunteers down there, so it was quite an experience. But um, but you know, my my uh, my love is uh, I love writing about crime. I was a, you know I'm a journalist by trade. I was a crime reporter, and um, and I, I moved from uh, Las Vegas uh, in you know, last year. December, uh, moved back to San Diego where I'm from, from. So I was in Las Vegas for 21 years. Oh, very nice. And okay, yeah. yeah, we moved here in 2000. Yeah. I'm sorry. It says I moved out here in 2000. From oh, did you? From New York. Yeah, I live in Henderson. Yeah, you're. Uh, I'm. Uh, yeah, we we. Uh, you you live on. Uh, you live in Henderson, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, I was out there. Uh, well, you're 2004, so I beat you by a decade or so. But <laughs> okay. yeah, I was there 21 years, one month, and four days. But who's counting? Yeah. But I'm uh, um, I, I'm happy to be back in in California. It's where my roots are, and you know, I had uh, uh, Las Vegas was very good good to me. 
but um, it, it was time to come home. So I'm I'm covering a California case here right now, and uh, uh, two murders um, uh, in Torrey Pines Beach, and they happened in '78 and '84. So it's nice that I'm here to be able to uh, research that and interview people. Well, okay. Now uh, I, I saw today you were announced this book you'd written about um, Robert Durst. Yes. And this has to be one of the most fascinating stories in the world, really, when you think about it. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a character. Yeah. He's a character. And Susan Berman, who was charged with murder, she was a character, too. They were attracted to each other, you know, as friends, but they, they were, you know, they had a bond. Yeah, when I was researching today, today, I saw an old clip of Susan Berman, and I recognized her. I guess when she wrote the book, uh, her mafia book, uh, daughter book, uh, whatever tour she was doing. Uh, easy, uh, easy Street. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, now how did you get involved in this, uh, Robert Durst? Well, I was, uh, I was a you know, reporter at the Las Vegas Sun, and um, I knew who Susan was uh, because of this A&E special that she was a writer on. I almost met her. Um, there was a VIP party, and journalists were invited, and Susan was there, but I didn't go at the last minute. But when... Um, I can almost remember the day I, I learned about her murder and I followed it and it just was, it seemed such a sad story. Here she was, uh, uh, a gal who was raised in Las Vegas um, as, as basically mob royalty and, um, and her father died during surgery when she was 12 and then her mother committed suicide when she was 13. She was later convinced that the mob killed her. And she lost her parents at a young age. And, and then Susan ended up, you know, she became a journalist, went to journalism school at UC Berkeley. And um, her, it's like her feet were firmly planted in Las Vegas. She never, never got over it. And so I, the more I started uh, researching and, and looking into the case, um, the more I covered it. And then I wrote a book. And, and, and Robert Durst is very much a part of Murder of a Mafia Daughter because he was such good friends with Susan. Now, of course, he's accused of killing her. How did those two meet? Uh, they both were students. He was a, an upper graduate and Susan was an undergraduate at UCLA. And they met on the quad, uh, you know, on campus. And just instantly, their first conversation included how they lost their parents. He lost his mm. uh, mother at age seven and Susan at 12 and 13, both parents. And and she was raised in wealth, and um, and Durst was uh, came from a very wealthy family. The um, the Durst organization they built half of uh, Manhattan, and they just were fast friends. And she referred always referred to Bobby as uh, the brothers she never had. Very interesting. I call him Bobby Durst. That's what she used to call him. But Robert is what everybody knows him by. So now, why don't you tell the audience the whole story behind uh, Robert Durst and all the uh, different uh, allegations uh, going on with this guy? Well, he, he, the boy's been, uh, he's, he's accused of three murders. First in 1982, his, his wife, uh, Kathy Durst, who he married, I believe, in 73, and, and, they, um, and then she turned up missing in, in 82. Susan, after she went on from UCLA, Susan went on to UC Berkeley, went to J school, journalism school there, and 
um, and then had a, had a good career. Was was hired by the San Francisco Examiner. Wrote some very high profile stories. Freelanced them for a magazine. Got the attention of other media, and she was hired by um, New York Magazine. Moved to New York, and and it always felt as if she had followed uh, Robert Durst there because he went back home to uh, Manhattan. So she lived on the Upper East Side, and. Um, at the time, uh, Bobby Durst's wife, Kathy, disappeared in 1982. Susan became his spokesperson. And so she, she filled the telephone calls from the media. He didn't want to talk to the media, so she did. She was his biggest defender. And because of his name, of course, the, um, the case was very high profile. And then uh, Susan ended up back in California and and. Moved to moved to Los Angeles, and in in 2000, um, she uh, what told told well she didn't. Let me backtrack. And so the 1982 case, state police were relooking at it. New York police were relooking into the investigation of uh, Kathy Durst's disappearance, and they leaked police leaked to the media that. They wanted to interview Susan Berman. Robert Durst got antsy and ended up in Galveston Bay on the lam, living as a woman, a deaf mute woman, yeah. and moved in next door to a man by the name of Morris Black. So Susan was the second one. He got antsy. The motive is, it, police believe the motive is that um, Susan was going to spill the beans. She knew too much and the investigation of Kathy Durst's disappearance, and so Durst uh, shot her in the back of the head. Then the, and she was killed in her Benedict Canyon home. Then the third murder is uh, in Galveston. wasn't too thrilled with that Skype connection anyway. We might want to uh, uh, move on into a, a landline. Uh, but we're speaking with Kathy Scott, who's the author of uh, Murder of a Mafia Daughter. The story behind the suspicions, uh, Robert Durst murdered Susan Berman. The life and tragic death of Susan Berman. And this Susan Berman uh, uh, woman really did have a very fascinating uh, life. And her death was very tragic, I, I would agree. Um, uh, getting hooked up with this Durst character. Uh, so let's see, the internet's fine, my internet's fine, it's just Skype once again uh, crapping out on me here. I might have a phone number for our guest, I might just move to that. Uh, let's see if I have one here, I think I do. Uh, I don't even know why I, I tend to keep going back to these uh, Skype connections. I mean, there's so much trouble with them. Uh, but I'll pick up here and see if I can get her on uh, uh, the landline and see if that's any better. Calling? And we'll pick up us. Kathy Scott, who's the author of uh, uh, Murder of a Mafia Daughter. Uh, the story... Hey, Kathy. Hey, Kathy. How are you? Um, Hi, yeah, we lost each other. 
Yeah, I know. Uh, we're still on the air, though. <laughs> but that Skype connection, I'd say, I don't know why I always tell guests to come on Skype and then there's so many problems with it. <laughs> you think I'd yeah, learn by Yeah, it comes on and on. <laughs> Are you more comfortable on the on the phone, or what do you think? Yeah, phone, phone's good. Let's let's finish that way. Let's do it that way. Yeah. Do the rest of it. Okay, so now we were talking about the Kathy Berman and how... Not Kathy Berman. I'm so, oh, my God. God forbid. Uh, <laughs> Susan Berman. Because he could be coming for you next. Yeah, you never know with this guy. Uh, but uh, Susan Berman, uh, and, uh, didn't he mail her some checks right before she was murdered? Um, he did He did send her some checks. Um, but I don't think it was unusual for him to do that. I mean, the police may play that up as him trying to pay her off or whatever. But Susan was very much down on her luck. And um, she was being evicted from her house. And um, she needed to buy a new car, and he sent her uh, one check, and then a few months later sent her another. She um, she originally contacted him; she couldn't reach him, so she uh, she called the Durst organization, or I think she mailed a letter to the Durst organization and asked them to get in touch with him because uh, he wasn't picking up his phone. And then he, in turn sent her a check for 25000 said it was a gift, and then he sent her a second 25000 But you had mentioned the cadaver letter, right? No, I didn't. No, I didn't mention that, but but now that you bring up the, that she contacted the Durst organization, um, uh, mm-hmm. now, weren't, they had a whole bunch of restraining orders against this guy, so they were keeping tabs on where he was because they were afraid of him, or, or, or they things were mellow back in those days? No, this was back in 2000. So in 2000, they were, you know, he... Um, he'd had sort of a falling out with them because he was supposed to run. You know, he's the senior son. He was the oldest, and mm. he was supposed to, to... I think he had two other brothers, and Doug was second in line. And instead of putting Robert Durst in charge of the organization, his father, Seymour Durst, put Doug. And so um, Robert was very unhappy about that and sort of broke away from them. But he still saw them and, you know, was still a part of the family. But he was always, I mean, I think that he always creeped them out a little bit, you know. But um, so he wasn't like, it wasn't like he was working every day, you know, because he was on the payroll of the Durst organization. At that point, you know, he hadn't done anything, um, any stalking later um, in, in more recent years. In the past few years, he stalked the family and was actually charged with it. And, I mean, one Thanksgiving dinner, he just showed up at his brother's, uh, you know, and these people live in, in, you know, high-priced estates and whatnot, and showed up at their window near the dining room and just stood there as they were eating dinner. So he he creeps them out a little. And they have gotten restraining orders against him, but at that point they hadn't. Susan defended him to the bitter end. She was his most loyal friend. He didn't have any friends, basically. You know, and he had a wife and, and uh, then a second wife, and Susan was his best friend. But everybody said he didn't have any friends, even in high school. Yeah, and a little bit of sociopathic behavior, you know, beginning at an early age. Yeah, yeah I'd say so, yeah. Now, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just because the guy, because while I was oh, researching this today, I, oh, the guy's, the guy's fascinating. Because you, you yeah. saw the video of him urinating in the uh, <laughs> <laughs> pharmacy. Uh, you can't make that stuff up. Yeah, yeah and it was interesting. Didn't you find that interesting? And that's gone viral. But you know, he just did that. He, you know, I think he did that last year. You yeah. know, so when he was arrested for Susan Berman's murder, 
um, that's still pending in court. You know, he, that's still that case is still pending. But he, he walks into the pharmacy. You've got him. They they they've got tape. You know, so he's coming into it. He's got shorts on, and 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 as he's walking in, I find it interesting. He puts the hat on, uh, uh, baseball cap on his head, right? Yeah. It's like a disguise, and he walks up to the counter. He puts his, you know, fanny pack or whatever it is he has, backpack, uh, onto the counter, and he unzips it and whatever, and then he proceeds to unzip his pants and then take a leak all over the, under the counter and where all the candy is on shelves, you know, those shelves, the point of purchase, you know, they put those shelves next to counters with candy, and he pees all over it, and urinates and um and then he just simply lifts his hands and and starts taking care of his business and he, he filled he they filled the uh, prescription for him and uh one of the people one of the clerks called police they, they haven't released that part of it we haven't seen you know police coming in or anything but he you know it's interesting because when he was arrested in uh pennsylvania where, where he got his graduate, his, I think his master's degree in Pennsylvania in Lehigh. He's arrested there at a, at a drugstore. Um, and he stole, a, uh, he was arrested for shoplifting right. because he stole a sandwich. And then in the Jinx, there's an HBO program, of course, that he was in about him, the Jinx. And in the Jinx, the filmmaker asked him, why did you steal that chicken salad sandwich at that drugstore? He said, because I felt like it. And I think that's exactly why he urinated at this drugstore, you know, just last year, is because because he feels like it, because he can. I think he's entitled. I think it was like Susan in so many ways that they both were raised in wealth and never given the tools to really survive in, you know, in society um, to have their you know, to manage your own finances, to drive themselves around, right. whatever it is, register your car. And, and there's an entitlement um, that, you know, some people feel when they're raised in wealth. And I think they both felt that. Susan never did. She was given a lot of money over the years and just squandered it away and died uh, pauper. And there's just, you know, did things, I think, because he, he felt entitled. Still Wait. does, I think. You know, let's go off on a little tangent. Susan Berman. Now, her father owned the Flamingo. How, how did she die? She, she got nothing from that? Oh, no, she got lots from that. No, he didn't own it, but he had ownership in it. He had okay. partial ownership. He ran the Flamingo when Bugsy Siegel was murdered. He he took over 15 minutes after. He ran it with him and then took over running it. He, he ran, ran the skim for the Chicago mob, basically. Okay. And uh, in the in the 40s and 50s, uh, they moved to Vegas in 46. And then he also ran the Riviera at, at one point, had ownership in the Riviera, ownership in, you know, partial along with his, his fellow uh, mobsters. Um, and he, uh, apartment buildings, uh, bowling alley. So what Susan was given was $5.3 million over a period from the time she turned 21 until she was 30. And she also sold the movie rights to her book, Easy Street, in the 80s when she was living in New York. And um, Bobby threw a great big, you know, Robert Durst threw a great big party for her to congratulate her, to celebrate. Um, and Susan would buy everybody at St. Elaine's, you know, which is a really famous, expensive restaurant. She'd buy everybody dinner. 
she just squandered it away. But she bought a house or two here and there and ended up with nothing. She wasn't good with money. She didn't know how to, you know, she liked to be driven around. Even though she had a car, it was falling apart. She didn't know how to maintain a car. She didn't know, you know what I mean? She had parking tickets. She never paid them. Well, like 30 parking tickets when she died. And, and I think that's an indication of sort of an entitlement. Why should I pay that? It, she just wasn't given the tools that everybody else has. That, you know, the things that we have to do in life that we don't necessarily like. You know, um, and and I think that there's is the same way. But you know, she had a, she had a lot of money, but she squandered it. And you know, what what, what year uh, did she get that? You said five million dollars over ten years. What what years was that? When she was twenty one. She died. Well, she was born in 40. 40- hey, guys, I got a great new deal for you. It's called Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. Now, I want you to take out a pen and paper and write down Opperman 50, O-P-P-E-R-M-A-N 5-0. Now, Factor's delicious ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes, you'll be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan veggie, and more. Uh, there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. Snacks, smoothies, and more. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout. And every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. Flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or schedule your deliveries anytime. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, no cooking, no cleanup needed. Now head to factormeals.com front slash opperman50 and then you use code opperman50 to get 50% off. That's code opperman50 at factormeals.com front slash opperman50. O P P E R M A N 50 to get 50% off. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Six, so it's 21. So what? The 60s, 70s, 80s. Well, so in the, um, in the she, 60s and the 70s, she had 5 million bucks in the 70s. Well, by the time she was 30. So, oh my so, God. Yeah, she, by the time she was 30. So that would have been in the 80s. Okay, 80s. Or um, even 80s. And, 5 million yeah, in the 80s. She died, well, she died in 2000. Yeah, so it took her took her a few years to get rid of it. But then she moved in with a man and flat, and she bought a house um, near, um, oh, what is it, uh, near uh, uh, Nicole Brown Simpson's uh, oh, Brentwood. condo. Brentwood. Yeah, in Brentwood, and, and lived with a man and his, his two children. And she, um, then she bought that house. She lost it. And that seems to be the tail end of it. You know, she's always buying people things. I mean, in, in New York, Susan couldn't just go and buy a pair of leather boots. You know, she she bought, you know, eel skin and would buy three three pairs in different colors. And same thing, she'd buy a certain, uh, silk blouse and buy five of them in different colors. So she, you know, custom made, things like that. She was, she, she felt entitled. She felt, she, she, just felt entitled. A friend of hers in 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 uh, L. A. who who um, used to go to synagogue with her. She's a member of the Hollywood um, synagogue, and uh, she told her her friend told her when she was you know having such financial financial problems and was trying to freelance a bunch of stories and trying to get a you know a TV series going. She did work on an A and E special, but it's A and E. You know they don't pay a lot yeah, of money man. for documentaries. And her friend said to her, why don't you just go get a job? And she said Susan was just insulted at the thought of having to go to work, you know, nine to five. I mean, she got a job at the San Francisco uh, Examiner straight out of journalism school. And she was there five years, didn't get along with the women she worked with. And her dean, I interviewed him. He passed away a few years ago, but I interviewed him for the first edition of uh, Murder of a Mafia Daughter. He said he always felt it was wrong that Susan, it was unfortunate that Susan had gotten a uh, job straight out of journalism school. He felt she should have had to work a little harder for it. And um, it just seemed things like that came easy for her. And and she, you know, wasn't prepared to handle even, you know, a checking account. It's unfortunate. It's a sad story, I think. I don't think Robert Durst is a sad story. I think Susan Berman's a very sad story. Yeah, and the way you describe it. Yeah, for sure. That that's tragic, you know. And and to think that yeah, you know, that five million dollars gets eaten away because of uh, late fees on parking tickets, thirty parking tickets. You know, that's a, well, she never paid them. You know, she now. In fact, it was her, her cousin who was named uh, beneficiary. She didn't have anything, but still, you know, somebody has to close out. You know, when you die, someone has to close out your estate, sure. no matter what you have. And I mean, she had, had the car that Robert Durst a used SUV. Um, she paid seven thousand dollars for it from the twenty five thousand that he gave her, and and of that to the twenty five thousand, she had to pay three months' rent and all the back rent, and then agree to move in March. And of course, she didn't live long enough to move. Um, but her cousin actually, in breaking down her estate. Um, went and cleared it all out, showed them the death certificate, and then they waived all the parking fees. But um, she, uh, you know, they had to, they had to, the reason they, she did that was they had to sell her car, and in order to sell their car, they right. had to, her car, they had to clear the, 
the parking tickets on it. So it was, uh, um, I don't know, she just took it and stuffed it in the, you know, put it in, threw it away or something. She Probably that visor on the top, you know? <laughs> she didn't, yeah, she didn't fill the, yeah, yeah, she didn't exactly, she didn't fill the responsibility, you know what I mean? Yeah. You get a parking ticket and you go, oh, darn. I mean, I just got something, I, I drove to drove to L.A. and and I couldn't find the, the uh, toll road booth. I passed it and so I just got a bill, you know, for for going going on a toll road without paying. So I'm writing the check and sending it in. Susan, uh, I, I I don't think it would be good if I just stuck it behind my visor, you yeah. know what I mean? I know what you mean. I, I wish <laughs> I had your, your discipline. I think I'm a little bit more in the Susan category. I hate to yeah. admit a little well, she bit. Didn't feel, yeah, yeah, she doesn't feel... She didn't feel the responsibility because, boy, yeah. you get a parking ticket. You you get it. You get it in the mail. They keep telling you. How can you ignore that? You, it's like ignoring your your IRS bill. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you grow up. You know, you they come after you. Yeah. Well, okay. The IRS. She's worried about IRS. Her, her dad took over for Bugsy Siegel. <laughs> I think she has yeah. a different kind yeah, of perspective just, yeah, in life. Yeah, she felt. It, it's yeah. funny. She felt. Yeah, and her life would have been quite different. You know, she always, oh, yeah. she always had this yearning for Las Vegas, and it's almost like. She didn't develop emotionally, you know. She grew into a woman, and you know, she was very intelligent. She didn't. She was very quirky. Had a lot of uh, sort of phobias, but and and she was very much. She and she and Durst, I think, bonded because they were so similar in that respect. But she never, she never got over losing her parents. She never got past it. She met, which is so sad. Nobody ever talked about her parents again to her. And she never got past it. So it's like her feet were firmly planted in Las Vegas. And then she spent much of her writing career writing about it. You know, she had freelance articles. She did the A&E special as a writer, a, a wonderful A&E uh, special about Las Vegas, one of the best done. Mm. And, and it won some awards. And she was a writer for that, one of the co-writers. Uh, but, you know, she was always forever trying to come back to it. When she died, she was trying to get some series going about the women of Las Vegas, the, the wives of the casino owners. She was still, you know, trying to get a Showtime series going on that. It's sad. She was, she never got over it, and she was somehow trying to find herself, I think, by writing about Las Vegas. You know, it is sad. This is a tough town. You know, and it, 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 it's a it, tough town. I mean, yeah. I'm 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 gone from there now. <laughs> and, and it seems like a lot of people come here, and and their their life winds up in tragedy. Uh, whether they, yeah. even, if they're not involved in gambling, if they're not involved in drinking or drugs or any other fast life, just just coming to this town uh, brings like a curse over your life. And so many, I've seen it so many times. Now, do you think? Well, yeah, and you know that. And the bad thing about Las Vegas is, I mean, it's a twenty-four hour town, yeah. and, and you've got vice all around you. I mean, you've got you know strip clubs galore, and you know you walk into a convenience store, you walk into a grocery store, and you hear bells and whistles and dings because you've got you've got slot machines everywhere. You know, tobacco slaps you in the face. So you've got people drinking twenty-four hours a day out on the streets, and I think. And that, I mean, my insurance went down tremendously, by the way, when I moved back to California. But, but it's uh, just because of the area. So it is, a, it is a tough town, and people are lured. And if you're, you're, they're lured by the the things that are there that are, you know, sort of the underbelly of Las yeah. Vegas. 
Yeah, it's funny because we still have those cigarette machines where you can put a dollar, you know, five, ten dollars in a machine and get a pack of cigarettes out. It's illegal everywhere else in the country. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, they'll that. never do it. They want yeah. people to be comfortable in the casino when they're they're throwing their money away. So they'll never see so you walk in. Even if you want to go to a theater that's within a casino, I, you know, I used to do that periodically. And you, you and I always would think, why am I doing it? Because you walk in the door and you slapped in the face with cigarette smoke. Yeah. Because they they want everybody to be convenient, you know, convenient and not put out. But yeah, it's a, it's not a very athletic town. It's a it's a it's a weird place, but um, people like it. I'm I'm you know it was very good to me, but I'm glad I'm gone. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Now my kids are about yeah. to hit into uh, high school, so we're thinking of getting out of here pretty soon too. Yeah. Okay, I want to take a little commercial break. Uh, we're here with uh, Kathy Scott, uh, who is the author of uh, all these different books. Uh, Murder of a Mafia Daughter, the story behind the suspicions Robert Durst murdered Susan Berman. Uh, Susan Berman herself, a fascinating character. Um, And the uh, the second part of that title is The Life and Tragic Death of Susan Berman. And Murder in Beverly Hills, the mob-style execution of Susan Berman, her crime boss father, and the deadly secret she took to her grave. Uh, And all these different books about uh, death in the desert, the true story of uh, murder, money, murder, and mystery in Sin City. And, and I wrote The Killing of Tupac Shakur and The Murder of Biggie Smalls. Yeah, I'm going to have a, a link to every one of these books on my blog. So when they go to the Opera oh, Book blog, cool. oh, yeah, well, it'll be up there for years, so don't worry. No, okay. I, thank you. Don't worry about that. So we'll be right back after these messages. And now a word from our sponsors. We are listener-sponsored, and we appreciate your donations. If you like the show, please visit OppermanReport.com and click on the Donate button. Or you can donate directly through PayPal at OppermanReport at gmail.com. We have Mike Gray of InfinityHomePlans.com. He's the host of Parlay over at CJ Mars Radio, Thursday evenings, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you need custom home designs, stock plans, or 3D work, he's your one-stop shop for home design and drafting needs. Mike Gray at InfinityHomePlans.com at infinityhomeplans.com If you're looking for essential oils, stop by and check out Essentially Tammy on Facebook. She is a young, living, essential oils, independent distributor. Now these are 100% therapeutic-grade oils. They help support the body's natural functions. You can visit her website posted on Essentially Tammy uh, to see the current deals or email at jockotammy, J-O-C-A, T-A-M-I at yahoo.com or call 352-239-8546 Hey, if you need a private investigator go to my website emailrevealer.com We offer asset searches, locates, skip tracing, adoption investigations, online infidelity investigations. We can recover deleted text messages from a cell phone or trace an email to online dating websites to catch people cheating. That's emailrevealer.com or you can call 800-572-9762. 800-572-9762 or emailrevealer.com, my PI website. Pacific West Bamboo. Uh, It's your premier source for construction and craft-grade bamboo poles. Uh, They're announcing their latest project with EcoHead Event Sanitation. 
making bamboo composting bathrooms and porta potties. Their first display will be at the Lucidity Festival in Santa Yanez, California, April 11th to the 13th. Come by and say hi and see what you can build with bamboo. Contact them uh, for any kind of event planning, display building. If you need construction grade or craft grade bamboo products, uh, call Amanda at 503-839-8126. 503-839-8126. Or visit PacificWestBamboo.com, their brand new website. We're also sponsored by the New World Mexican Women. Uh, this is a rural Mexican craft women's cooperative. Uh, they are traditional makers of fine handcrafted authentic jewelry. They use beautiful stone mosaics and Pacific blue abilene inlay. Uh, they have a wonderful book of love letters written to their men in the United States begging them to return to their families in Mexico. But they've written a new book and it's uh, called, uh, it's about a young girl that falls in love with a rodeo bull rider and runs off with him without telling her family. It's a beautiful love story called Azukina Part 1, Azukina to the Rodeo. Uh, you can find their books and jewelry by clicking on their banner ad at oppermanreport.com or by Googling New World Mexican Women. Uh, you can also promote your business or website right here and have your ad played all over the world seven days a week uh, by emailing oppermanreport at gmail.com or calling 800-572-9762. Welcome back to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, Private Investigator Ed Opperman. This show is brought to you by Audible.com. Go to audibletrial.com, front slash Opperman Report. Get yourself a free audio book. Um, tonight, we're here with uh, Kathy Scott, and we're talking about the uh, Robert Durst uh, case. Fascinating, uh, incredibly fascinating, and also this tragic story of um, Susan Berman. Kathy, do you, do you think Susan saw this coming, or was this out of the blue? This was, uh, <clears throat> this was out of the blue. I mean, she was shot in the in the back of the head uh, with a nine millimeter handgun, and um, you know whoever whoever shot her, and I do believe it was Robert Durst. All the evidence points to it, circumstantial, but it points to it. Um, she was headed in the hallway into her spare room, and uh, you know, shot in the back of the head, so she never saw it coming. And I think, you know, she was so loyal to him that she'd probably explain away why he killed her. You know what I mean? If she were here today, I think she might defend her own murder. Really? You know, that's how, that's how loyal she was to him. I mean, she told friends, you know, after Kathy Durst, years later, after Kathy Durst, you know, she still hasn't turned up since 1982. And she wanted to divorce Robert Durst, and then she ended up dead. And um, Susan told friends that, you know, I know Bobby probably did it. She called him Bobby. And I know Bobby probably did it, but, um, you know, I forgive him. Her father was a killer. Susan Berman's right. father was, and she had a wanted for murder poster on her mantle, you know, above her mantle when police went into her house in December 2000 when she was murdered and after she was murdered. And 
So I think she accepted that sort of lifestyle, you know. She sort of, she obviously, you know, forgave her father. She didn't realize he was a killer until she was older and he was dead. But still, she she wasn't ashamed of it. She was, didn't apologize for it. She accepted it. So maybe that's what she did with him when it came to Kathy Durst. And I doubt she would have ratted him out, you know. If she knew something, I, I don't think she would have would have talked, but, you know, he obviously didn't have the same loyalty for her that she had for him. Yeah, I can I can identify with that because I, I grew up in Staten Island, and I know that, that, that mentality, you know, of, of all these mm-hmm. these guys I knew, their, their fathers were killers, you know? Omerta, and they, right. you know, they, they, they never, they never, they never rat on each other, and, and it's an oath, and kids are the same way when it comes to their parents. Although you've got, when they grow up, you know, a few children of mobsters who became mobsters ratted their own fathers yeah. out. But mostly it was to save themselves, yeah. you know. And there's one I know that, that uh, um, you know, his father, his own father took a, a contract out on him, and so he ratted him out. Yeah, we were just but, talking uh, last night about the, the Francis kids, the uh, uh, Johnny Francis and the... Uh... Michael Francis and, and uh, Sonny Francis ratted out his father. You know, he testified against his own yeah. father. Yeah. 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 This is Frank Calabrese. Frank Calabrese and Frank Jr. I met Frank Jr. at, uh, you know, in, in Las Vegas. They have a, a mob conference. Yeah. Mob convention. And uh, I met uh, Frank Jr., who was in prison, the same prison as his father. And his father put out a, a hit on him in prison, you know, for, for you know, the monsters, for somebody to do him in. In prison, as you know, people get killed in prison. And he he then, you know, got to the warden and said, hey, listen, I want to make a deal. And I think because of what he did, it was something like 40 murders were solved by him turning his father in. And his father, you know, was sent to, you know, to a very, very hefty, Hefty sent, you know, uh, sentence before that, but this way they solved some crimes. And then, <clears throat> and then Frank Jr. was taken to another prison, and then he he went out, eventually um, went out in the uh, protection program and broke away from it eventually. But it's fascinating stuff, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So you you went to the mom convention? Yeah, I actually spoke at it. Okay, yeah, I was one of the one of the speakers. I was on the panel. <laughs> yeah, we had. I talked about show. Susan Berman, and and <laughs> that, that's what I went there for to talk about Susan Berman before her before her, her murder was solved. Yeah, we had, we had Frank Collard on the show and uh, Denny Griffin when they were, the mob convention was coming up. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do. I don't know if it was the first year was pretty cool. Kendi Gallo was there. You okay. know, he's one of my sources when I was at the Las Vegas Sun. And and then I met him for the first time in person. We talked on the phone. I can't tell you how many times and emailed back and forth. And he outed himself as a source to me. So, therefore, I'm, I can say it now, too. But um, he was there. And then uh, Andrew D'Amato, you know, nice, nice guys. You know, they've all done bad things, but nice, nice guys. They won't admit it, of course, because there's no statute of limitations on that crime. Yeah, Kenji's another guy, uh, uh, you know, made a deal, you know, still walking around. No one's ever touched him, you know. Uh, but uh, Yeah, he's a, Kenji's a, a, a tough guy. I had dinner with him and yeah. his uh, wife last year when I was in uh, L.A. And, and, I mean, he's careful, you know, he's careful. But he's, uh, um, I don't think anybody will mess with him. He's got a lot going on. 
There's a lot a, of reasons for people not to mess with him. <laughs> yeah, mixed martial arts. I without think going that. into detail. Well, a lot more than that, <laughs> okay. too. But, yeah, he's a martial arts, uh, what is he, a black belt or something? Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a nice guy, good guy. Now, now back to Susan, though. Okay, now, because um, it, it seems like with uh, Robert Durst, is that his, normally wouldn't he dismember the bodies after the murder? Now, how come he didn't do it in this case? Oh, that was just uh, um, inconvenience for him. You know, I think uh, it, he needed to get rid of Morris Black's body. You know, he killed him in Galveston Bay, and, he, and who knows why he killed him. Um, but he, <clears throat> I mean, there's a few theories going around about it. But I think I think he just got in the way of him, and, and maybe he... Maybe he discovered that he wasn't a mute woman, and and uh, he thought he was going to turn him in, and his cover would be blown. And I mean, so living next door to him, they had a, there was just a hallway, you know, a skinny hallway between them. And uh, and so Durst says he shot him by accident. Of course, the jury believed him, and he was acquitted of that. But. Uh, he said he panicked and then chopped. He needed to get rid of the body and chopped it up into pieces. He used a chainsaw, so it was a little messy. So he left. He fled the area, you know, and left the apartment all bloody. And I guess he thought nobody would catch him. No one would know it was him. But he was found out, of course. And and uh, so no, I I think that was. I think it's. Just opportunity in Susan's case, he shot her in the back of the head and and just walked out of her house. In this case, uh, Robert Durst killed Morris Black in his own apartment, okay. in, 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 in Robert Durst's apartment, so he was stuck with the body in, his, in the room. Okay, but with the first murder, Kathy, the, the wife, uh, he never, uh, they, they've never found her body? Oh, we think she's in the lake near their house the in, in, uh, in upstate New York. He's... Uh, um, She's probably, it was winter. He went down to, um, what is it called? Ship Bottom, is it? Ship Bottom, New Jersey? Is that what it's called, or New York? Um, I don't know. I don't it's, a, it's a place called Ship Bottom, I think. And uh, his, someone called Collect to the Durst organization, um, and, and the only person who called Collect to them would have been him. He did that a lot checking in with the Durst organization for whatever he needed. I mean, um, money or whatever it was. And he was working for them at the time. And and uh, he um, and and police believe it was it was him. Who else? Who else in that area would have called collect to the Durst organization and they would accept the charges? You know what I mean? It was from a pay phone. And so they think that her body was, put in the water somewhere over there. He also, a really creepy thing about Durst is, is he, and, he and Kathy Durst had had a couple of dogs, and well, they had a dog named Igor, and um, Igor died mysteriously, and then Robert Durst replaced that dog with another dog of the same breed, and that dog died mysteriously, never of natural causes. He ended up with something like 10 dogs uh, dying, each one dying mysteriously, and and each dog was named Igor. He named each one the same name as the first one he and Kathy Durst had. The thought is that he was practicing to kill Susan, or I'm sorry, to kill Kathy Durst by killing his own dog. And uh, then they replaced that dog with another dog named Igor. Um, and 
it's interesting because he, he, he married later, you know, right before Susan, right after or right before Susan died and when he thought he was going to be arrested probably for her murder, he married um, a real estate um, agent in New York and gave her a power of attorney so that she could handle money for him in case he was arrested. And on, on in one of their phone conversations that was taped while he was in jail after after the Galveston Bay arrest, he referred he said to his wife, you know, I don't talking about his brother and all the goings on with him and stalking him, I don't want to have to do another Igor. Right. Now using that... it as a uh, yeah, using it as a verb. And and his wife said to him on the phone, Careful we're being taped. Wow. Now, is that telling or what? Yeah, definitely. But now, what, what's the story with her now? Is she still around? Is she still married to him? No, she is. she's married to him, and I'm assuming the power of attorney is still in effect unless he has that changed. But. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, he's, she's living with an attorney who was one of Durst's attorneys. So it's hard to say what they're arranged. It's a marriage of convenience, I yeah. think, because his, you know, she can't testify against him because, um, you know, a wife can't, you know, a spouse can't testify against. Uh, they they can't they can't compel you to do that legally. Testify against each other. Um, she knows a lot, obviously, um, but she doesn't seem to be as beholden to him as she was in the past. Um, he's, he's made her a very wealthy woman, although she was a very um, successful uh, real estate agent, you know, but now she's living with one of his attorneys, his former attorney. So it's it, we'll see what comes of that. You know, she she was in court for the Galveston Day trial, um, but she seems to be out of the picture right now. You know, if I were her, I'd run for the hills. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> now, this whole thing is just so crazy. Yeah, but yeah, now- people get dead when they're around Robert Durst. Yeah. That's a little creepy. But now, the the motive for the first murder of Kathy, you think that was because she wanted a divorce? Because obviously, this guy has a, a taste for murder. Well, yeah, he, he does. I mean, it, she they had a, a, a really rough, their marriage was, you know, down the tubes. And she was a fourth-year student, um, medical student, um, uh, about to finish. And um, she... She told friends, she, they said, why don't you leave him now? Because she was very unhappy in telling people he was he was abusing her physically. And she was afraid of him. And she went to a party uh, at a friend's. And it was uh, in, um, it was January of 1982. And he yelled at her on the phone and ordered her to come home. And that's the last time she was seen by anyone. He was the last person to see her. And then he reported her missing five days later to the Manhattan Police Department when they lived in upstate New York, and it should have been reported there. But he claimed she got on a train, went to their Manhattan, because, you know, I had a Manhattan apartment, that she went to the Manhattan apartment so she could go to school the next day. Um, he never put her on a train. Nobody saw her in New York, um, uh, you know, Manhattan 
and then he reported it to the Manhattan um, substation, you know, where, you know, his dad built half of Manhattan. The Durst were very famous there and very powerful family. And um, they never, they never so much as interviewed his neighbors. You know, that they didn't, they didn't investigate really a missing person case on her. It was the upstate New York police, Westchester police, who later investigated the crime. Uh, and they didn't do a very good job of it either. And, and you know, um, and was it because of the Durst name? We'll never know. But, but none of that would have happened. It was because of uh, the, the, the ex-wife's brother who really started uh, trying to get stuff going. Well, I, yeah, he did, and it was really a detective who, okay. who uh, you know, in 2000, who, who, um, and maybe it was because of the, uh, the brother, but it was also friends of Susan's. I think it was mostly friends. There, there was one gal who never gave, two, two women, actually, uh, friends, one of Susan's and one of uh, Kathy Durst, and they never, they never, um, was, they never gave up, um, you know, hope that police would, would go after it. They were, you know, they went through Robert Durst's trash after after Kathy disappeared and hounded and hounded until this one detective years later jumped on it, and that was in 2000, and he wanted to interview Susan again. And, um, you know, Durst got wind of it because the media, it was leaked to the media, and they printed it, and Durst left town. And then Susan ended up dead. Wow. You know, so it's it's unfortunate, but yeah, it was really it was his name was uh, Detective Pachera, and he was the one who who uh, wanted to take another look at it. But you know, all those years later, they didn't even search his home until years later. You know, and and so it's you know, what if they had done real police work way back then? You know, Kathy Durr's murder would have been solved, at, in, in, and I believe he did it, and Susan wanted. One had been killed, and Morris Black one had been killed. Yeah, you know, so two people were killed because that murder wasn't solved. So it's a, it's unfortunate, you know, because of wealth that police will back away because of the power. So people don't want to lose their jobs over someone complaining over and over about them, and the, you know they'll lose their jobs, and so they save themselves. And and the case, it's unfortunate. I I hope that doesn't happen much, but you know, it seems to have happened in this case. Yeah, it seems to happen a lot, and and it, for the average cop, you have less headaches, you know, looking the other way on something like this than you do if you you, you pursue it, you know, and that's yeah, just, that's just how it is, you know. What are you going to do? Um, now, not just these three murders that that are, are pretty solid. Morris Black, we know we can't deny that at all. You know? well, well, Morris Black, he, he yeah. you know he went on the stand. He never yeah. denied killing him. He admitted killing him. He said it was an accident, and Morris Black had a gun and came to his apartment. He came home, and Morris Black was in his apartment, and they scuffled, and they had a fight, and lo and behold, um, you know, Robert Durst, uh, you know, the gun went off, and Morris was killed, and then he panicked and, and chopped up his body and threw it away. You know, that's what he says. But the head's missing. You know, the head of Morris Black is missing right. and was never Back found. Of the head, yeah. And and I, yeah, and that, that's that's where they, well, he said he shot him in the face. You know, my thinking is he probably shot him in the back of the head the same way he did Susan. 
Okay. But, you know, in, in, but the, the head disappeared, you know. Who knows where that is? Now, that judge had a couple of incidents, right? Uh, the judge in the case, yeah. Uh, Chris, what's her name? Chris, uh, something Chrissy like Chris, some, yeah. Yeah, something like that, just Chris. Uh, she, um, yeah, uh, uh, was it her cat? Uh, her cat or a neighbor's cat or someone's cat was found dead at her porch, on her porch. Might have been her cat. She thinks Robert Durst did it. You know, there's no proof of it. But, you know, he has had dogs die unexpectedly. Um, so it's, uh, you know, no, no necro, whatever they call it for an autopsy on the dog. You know, nothing was ever done to determine how those animals died. So, yeah, some creepy stuff. And then something else creepy happened with her. I can't remember what yeah, it was. Yeah, he, he but... ran into her at a mall, at a shopping mall, you know. Uh, and then a, 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 either a cat's head or the uh, a cat without its head uh, wound up on I think her. it was a beheaded cat. Yeah, yeah, I think it was a beheaded cat, which is kind of telling because Morris Black's head disappeared. Right. But he, cause he obviously chopped it off, you know, but it's. It's grisly stuff. The interesting thing, when Susan was murdered, uh, she had three dogs, and the neighbors noticed that her dogs were running in her front yard. The neighbor next door, uh, uh, Mark Carp, a doctor, I interviewed him. He walked me through the crime scene, you know, everything that happened outside, and the, the door was ajar, her back door was ajar, and her gate was open, and the dogs were running loose. And this is on Benedict Canyon Road, which is a very busy street. And um, Susan would never have let her dogs run loose, and the the neighbor was surprised. But they let a whole day, and the neighbor on the other side as well, and they let a whole day go by, you know, before they reported it. So he woke up the next morning, which was December 24th on Christmas Eve morning, and saw the dogs running loose, went out in front of Susan's house, went to the neighbor on the other side. They had one of her dogs inside their house. The other two were still running loose. They saw the gate open, and they could see the back door ajar, which wasn't like Susan at all. Her blinds were always drawn. She was very private, um, and they called police, and that's when her body was found. So she was killed about a day and a half before her body was found. So interesting that who, the killer left the back door open because he liked the dogs or, you know, for whatever reason, he didn't close the door and left the dogs out, which was sort of an interesting interesting side to Susan's story. So you think he went out of his way to let the dogs out, or you just think maybe he could have just, just walked out and not cared? You know? yeah, I don't know if he was an animal lover, or he didn't want to make any noise when he left, but the dogs slipped out at the same right. time. I mean, it's amazing that they weren't hit by a car. Um, but it was uh, sort of, an, there were dog, dog, bloody dog prints all over that house. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah, oh, so the dogs were in the house. Over. Okay, we then, know for a fact that the dogs are in the house. Okay. Yeah, and then her and then her body was turned over. You know, she was shot, she fell face down, but right. her body was turned over. Um, which the the person, it's 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 almost in a compassionate way. That's almost what police felt. I mean, I think he had some feelings for Susan. He wanted to stay in touch with her all those years, as much as a person like Robert Durst can feel for another person. Um, he, you know, maybe out of compassion for the dog, some little inkling of compassion, and out of compassion for Susan, he turned her over. Uh, but it, it was uh, so odd, you know, such an odd, um, and the poor dogs, you know, ran 
all over her body, you know. You know they, what? They wait, know wait, wait. You're the you one. Know, you're the one. <laughs> You're the one that loves dogs, not him. I do love dogs. <laughs> That's yeah. why you have to, yeah, you're focused. Oh, this is why is this woman focusing on the dogs? It's because you're an animal rescue person. Okay. <laughs> it don't make sense. <laughs> it's, yeah. well, well, I include the dogs in it, but it's, it's an interesting, <laughs> it's just an interesting thing that he did, okay. you know, that there was, uh, that police felt that, you know, whoever killed her knew her, you know, and was had some compassion for her because, Whoever it was turned her over. Well, yeah, and also you because know, of the, the wasn't letter. Lying He's... in an awkward position. It was a little odd. Now, he mailed a letter, too, didn't he, to the Beverly Hills police? Yeah, I mailed it. And this, too, they thought the same thing. That was it compassion. And I'm, I'm, you know, that he didn't want her body to rot in there, you know, um, that he sent on December 23rd, the killer sends a letter to postmark the 23rd. A body's not found until the 24th. So the third, 23rd, a, a letter is sent to police that says cadaver inside. It's in block letters, you know, and then lo and behold, in Beverly Hills, it's spelled wrong, and lo and behold, um, a uh, letter that Durst had written to Susan is discovered, you know, it was written to Susan about a year before she died um, on Durst Stationery in block letters in Beverly Hills, it's spelled wrong. And that, that, um, the stepson, you know, was given all of her belongings and Susan's stepson, quasi stepson, you know, her boyfriend she lived with, um, in, in, um, you know, the house she bought in LA, uh, and lost. Um, she helped raise one of his children later and, uh, one of the step, the stepson mailed, uh, still had that letter and contacted police that, that he, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. He didn't contact police. That came out in the HBO series. Oh, wow. He you know, never even he, brought that to the cops. Yeah, he that, brought it to the HBO instead. And that's the cadaver, yeah, that's the cadaver letter. Oh, my God. So then the interesting thing, and another side to this is that the, this came out. It's evidence. Yeah. And the interesting thing is it was in a pile of other belongings of Susan's in a pile of letters and documents and manuscripts she'd written. Because um, you know she was always writing a screenplay or a, or a um, manuscript, a book. Because uh, she wrote several books. She wrote two novels and, and and two memoirs. And it was in there. And police gave it to him. It means that police had custody of that letter at one point. Did they not let they come through and didn't notice? It matched the cadaver letter. Wow. So the stepson has it. Yeah, the stepson has it, and he. Um, and he calls the the filmmaker and, and is disturbed because he was a supporter and and defended Robert. There's never thought that Susan's best friend Robert would kill her. And he's all upset and crying because he found this letter that matches the cadaver letter, uh, the cadaver letter to police. And and uh, so they confront Durst in the film uh, with that, and then. But the, the interesting thing is the filmmakers didn't call police right away to give them that. They hung on to that letter, hoping, I don't know, for better better ratings or something, you know, when the, when the jinx came out, you know, the HBO series about Robert Durst came out. Yeah, amazing. Um, so the cops why did a, they hang on to that? The cops have a letter first. They don't even bother to look through this paperwork to match it to another yeah. handwriting from, from their main suspect. 
Wow. Right. The, the sun, the sun yeah, that's, took that's the time. A, that's a, that's a, an eye-opener. And, um, yeah, that, that didn't really come out much, you know, but that's, they, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's uh, an interesting. It's an interesting aside. Yeah. Well, who's putting out the press releases? It's you know the, the people, the cops. And the, uh, I'm blogging <laughs> about that actually right now. Yeah. But but it 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 is. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm about. To, I've been writing a blog about it. What okay. did police know and when did they know it? Oh, where's your blog? Where, and, where can we find your blog? Uh, on Psychology Today. It's okay. the Crime She Writes blog. But the, anybody search my name on PsychologyToday.com, they can find my blog. Oh boy! Now, what do you think about fascinating detail? Yeah, that's a that's a real eye opener, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy's just man, very interesting. How he, he he's he's sloppy, and he's gotten away with this for he's like eighty years old now, right? Seventy something, whatever. Well, he's seventy two. Seventy two. Well, that's how that he just turned seventy two. That's how crooks get caught. Is they're stupid. They miss something. They think they're so smart. Robert Durst thinks he's really smart. He is smart. He thinks he's the smartest person in the room, but he's not that smart, is he? Well, he went to a lot of effort. Like because uh, I was reading this stuff on uh, Wikipedia about how he's uh, he's always uh, had uh, fake ID cards. He's always had uh, PO boxes and and little dummy corporations and stuff. Now, now, yeah, and he's a pothead to to boot. So he's got a drug dealer too. That's probably through his drug dealer is probably how he gets his his uh, fake IDs. Because how do you go out and get a fake ID when you're a millionaire? It, it's especially in the old days it was really through easy. Through drug to, dealer, yeah. oh no, your lawyers could could hook you up with that. If you know you can hire a PI or a lawyer or something like that, they can help you get a fake, fake ID. Uh, that, that's not the criminal lawyer. Really? Oh yeah. <laughs> in, in the old days, oh yeah, forget it. They could walk in the I'll old be. days because the, the, the well, fake, this is just recent. I mean, he had like thirty fake IDs with him when he was arrested for Susan's murder in oh, New Orleans. Oh really? Would so they, this is and, and five ounces of pot. You know, five ounces of marijuana. So he's a, he's a weed head. You know, he smokes a lot of weed, but. But um, always has. Yeah, and, I saw that um, too. So, Do you know anything about his pot dealer? No, okay. I, I I hope that police have contacted him because yeah. I would bet he's the one who's getting his his fake IDs from. Because I mean that would be the way. But you know, Durst is a weird character. He hangs out. And he's got a house in San Francisco. He hangs out at homeless shelters. He, you know, he he. He goes to soup kitchens and eats. You know, he, he rents a hotel in Galveston Bay in a crummy area. You know, a room. You know, one room. Three hundred dollars a month. Uh, place, yeah, for three hundred a month. Why? Why doesn't he rent a nice one? So he he has the capability of doing that, but he doesn't always do it. He's got a really nice place in uh, in Houston that the cops recently searched. But it's it's um. Interesting that he likes to hang out at soup kitchens, yet he doesn't give people money. He could help them, and he doesn't. Yeah. It's, it's weird that he does that. So he kind of, uh, he, he walks, you know, in mission districts and and in uh, Skid Row, you know, so maybe that's how he finds his drug dealers. Yeah, but also, too, if he's wandering around those kind of areas, if those people disappear or get killed or, you know, uh, if this guy really is a serial killer for, for pleasure or whatever, for... Uh, a fetish, whatever it is, um, those people aren't missed, you know, when they're killed. Yeah, I don't think it's a fetish. I think it's people get in his way. I think if someone gets in his way, Morris Black, for whatever reason, I think he discovered he wasn't a woman, and he was, he was afraid he'd tell police because he was living, 
you know, a man living as a woman as a disguise because he was running from police. So, um, but the the odd thing is, you know, they didn't, they weren't able to move further in that case, and so he wanted to have been arrested for for Kathy Durst's murder, you know, or killing, you know, disappearance. What he ended up getting caught for was killing Morris Black and and possibly the motive because he thought the cops were after him when they weren't. But um, just that they wanted to reinvestigate the case, but nothing came of it. But what about you these, know? So these... it's weird. So it's, I, I think it's. It, but there, there are some cases. There's one in particular in San Francisco where there's a woman missing, and a prostitute saw her. Uh, a, a teenager, eighteen or something, saw her get in a car with a man who looked like Robert Durst, and uh, so she dis- she disappeared for whatever reason. Reason, but. And it doesn't seem to be sexually motivated. Um, but she was a volunteer at a homeless shelter, and he used to hang out there. That's how he met her. <clears throat> and then she worked at a shoe store, and he visited her at the shoe store. Right. And then she, yeah, she gets in a car with a man who looks like Durst in a car similar to the one he drove in San Francisco, and she, she disappears never to be found. So he, he's got, um, I don't think it's a fetish. I think it's a sociopath. Okay, but but you know, people what, get in his way. What, what, how did that girl? Um, uh, what's her name? Uh, the one at, at the homeless shelter. How did she get in his way? I don't. We don't know. Yeah. But she disappeared, never to be found again. She's gone. And there's another one too, an 18 year old girl, Lynn Schultz, that they suspect as well. Did you look into that? And that was in Vermont, right? Yeah. Yeah, Vermont. Maybe, maybe he, you know, the girl in Vermont, if he had anything to do with that, she went into his, he had a, you know, he, he didn't want to work for his father. He, you know, after college, he wanted to start a health food store and, and his dad paid and, and bought him a health food store in Vermont. And this gal came in, she was a college student and, and came into his store and went into the store and then she went outside. She, bought a pickle, I think, and she went outside or a pickle sandwich, stood across the street at the bus stop, across the street from Robert Durst health food store was the bus stop. That's the last place she was seen. Oh, wow. Maybe he, maybe she ticked him off, you know, in, in the store or something. Who knows what his, his motivation is, but people disappear. And and all these years later, that's going to be a tough one to solve. But he, but he is a person of interest in that case now. And and what about this stuff about those all those bodies buried in the beach in Long Island? I don't know that he, um, you know, that he's he's a suspect in any of any of those. I mean, you know, I think he's a serial killer, but I don't. I I think. I mean, you've got to have motive, means, and opportunity. And in each of these cases, he has. But I, I don't put him in that in that grade of serial killer where they go, you know, get one prostitute, then another, or, or young girls, and then boom, 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 dumps them in the same place. His his murders, if he did them all, are are all different. But for the same reason, you know, the motive in Susan was to keep her quiet. I yeah. think the motive with Morris Black was to keep him quiet. And um, and with his wife, what the motive was, you know, it's not the first time a spouse has killed, you know, a husband or wife because they were going to leave them. Well, then what would and be... I think in this case, it was Kathy was going to leave him, and, and he was going to be found out as a wife beater. 
and any any children. What would the motive be then of, of traveling around under all these false IDs all the time and, and just all this weird traveling? And the soup kitchen. Well, he had, he had money. He just liked to travel. He just <laughs> went places. He just, you know, he, he was bored. He didn't, ha you know, he wasn't really working. You know, when he worked for the Durst organization, he didn't really work for them. And he just traveled and took off because he could. He had a lot of money. He could go a lot of places. He'd go and stay somewhere. He'd buy a house in San Francisco, and he lived there for a while. His next-door neighbor in San Francisco was his real estate agent. She died, too. <laughs> but yeah, but she died. That she was she was fairly young, not young, but you know, like in her forties or something. And she died, um, and I died in her sleep or something. They called it, and nobody ever questioned it. But I kind of wonder about that one too. I'd love to see her body embalmed. Oh boy! Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting stuff about him. It, it yeah, people die like flies around him. Yeah, amazing. But but the thing is, okay, I can understand he has money, he wants to travel, but why, why all the fake IDs and the P.O. boxes and these, these little dummy corporations that do nothing? Well, that all started, the the fake IDs, well, probably because he's trying to hide his whereabouts. That that all started... After. Well, because of the Kathy Durst disappearance, you know, he figures everybody's always looking at him. He's, he's been a suspect since, since 1982, so he's a little paranoid. So he, he travels, you know, he, he, he likes to travel under different names or whatever. I mean, you know, he doesn't want to be found because he thinks the police are after him because he killed people. Yeah, I know that. So that, that's the reason, that's the motive, is he <laughs> wants to hide. But he doesn't hide very well, does he? No, and, and it just seems to me, man, that this guy just sticks out to me as someone who's who's killing for, for fun or, or some, has some extra... Uh, interest in just murders and and because it's well, it seems, yeah the animal, seems to easily yeah. get rid of people it's, it's, i don't yeah. think it's for fun i think it's because lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Can. I mean, I think you get some kick out of it. Yeah. But it, and then he likes to mess with people after he's done it. You know, like sending the cadaver letter, right. and and you know, I don't know. It's it's weird, and and um, taking Morris Black's head, you know, and then he went, got on the stand and, and described the whole supposed self defense thing, and he's very convincing. He he, you know, he's a liar. He's a he's a um, you know certified liar, and very convincing when he lies. <clears throat> I mean, you. He said in the Jinx in the HBO series, you know, that was about him. He said there, he lied on the stand in Galveston Bay. Uh, and they caught him in a lie and, uh, in, in the film when they asked him a question. And, and he said, oh, I thought you said on the stand, blah, blah, blah. blah. And he goes, well, I lied. Hmm. He doesn't mind telling you that he lied. And then and then if, if you watch the series in one segment, he says, of course I lied. Who doesn't lie? Everybody lies. You know, he just takes it for it's what he does. So half of what he says, you can believe, you know, it's, it's weird.
Well, it's also with that trial, with the, with, the, with the Morris Black trial, they, they had two practice trials. His lawyer put on two whole trials to practice before that one. So yeah, because they were they were polishing him as, as a liar yeah. on the stand. Yes. Yeah, so he did a very good job. It was very polished, very convincing, and the jury liked him. It was a hung jury. It was one. It was 12 to 1, and finally that, that, that final person gave in and acquitted him. And, and then he... You know, in in the gal and and uh, I mean, it, it's it. Thing is, he's he he was set free, and and he's a killer, and it's uh, so. And then he went and harassed his family, you know, and stalked them, and and I think, um, you know, thank goodness he's behind bars now because there's one less killer up the street. Well, he 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 uh, harassed Morris Black's family. His own family. Oh, his own family. Yeah, yeah. Right. He, they had to get temporary restraining orders against yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, he shows up, shows up at their windows like a peeping tom. He gets a, and and they did it. it. An interesting thing in the jinx is they went with him and filmed him when he stood out front in uh, his brother's uh, condo or walk up. You know, in in um, Harlem. You know, Harlem is being rebuilt, and so there's this great big place there, and and. And he walks up to him and he goes, well, now that I know where he lives, you know, because he obviously moved, so he wouldn't know where he lived. And then he found out, I think, through the filming of The Jinx, where his brother lived, and just stood on the steps, walked up to the door, looked in, walked around it and stuff. He's just messing with them. Then they went to the nurse organization outside and security came, and he's just walking around, just messing with them because he can yeah, yeah, I didn't get a like, chance to watch that. I found that yeah. odd that the film participated, the filmmakers participated in him stalking his family by filming him doing it. Yeah, well, the <laughs> filmmakers were sued by the family. The, the brother sued the filmmakers because uh, 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 they played some uh, deposition that was supposed to be a. Uh, 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 yeah, they dropped this. They dropped the suit after oh, they did? he was arrested. Oh, okay. Yeah, they dropped okay. it. Yeah, they participated and they almost were complicit in it yeah. because they. Yeah, and, and it, it, it yeah, it was a little creepy that they actually went with him as he's stalking his family when they had they had they had a temporary restraining order against Durst at the time. But he was the film; it was probably Durst's idea. You know, the film was Durst's idea too, right? I didn't know that. No. Yeah, he contacted. Uh, they had done uh, the film All Good Things, um, a made-for-TV movie about Kathy Durst. Oh, really. Parents. And Durst liked it so much that he called Andrew Jarecki, the filmmaker, and said, hey, how about if you do a film about me? So they sat down with Durst's attorneys and um, ironed out whatever agreement it was. I'd love to see that agreement. And uh, they agreed to do a documentary about him. And if you look at the documentary, the first four segments, the first four episodes are a little sympathetic. Then they get to the fifth, and they talk about Susan... Susan's murder and the cadaver letter and things like that, and then by the fifth, they conf- uh, by the sixth, the final series, they confront him with the uh, cadaver letter and his own handwriting. And um, and by the fifth one, though, when they were talking, that Durst was arrested after the fifth one, and he had left town because he figured they were going to come after him, I guess. And that's when he he fled to New Orleans and was arrested. By um, uh, under a, an arrest warrant put out by the LAPD, but the FBI 
um, made the arrest on on behalf of the LAPD. Yeah, and he was withdrawing like nine thousand dollars a day, and he had maps to Cuba and all kinds of stuff. Yes, yeah, and a map of Cuba and um, tons of uh, fake IDs, uh, a really creepy rubber mask. Yeah, right. You know, of a of an old guy with a wig and. Um, and he and he registered under an assumed name. I mean, how do you how do you register under a fake name? Well, I guess he had the credit cards and everything else to go with it, you know. And uh, registered, and and uh, and he had what four was it forty thousand dollars cash because he'd been withdrawing, you know, like nine thousand a day. Yeah. With him, so he was getting ready to leave the country. Thank goodness, you know, he yeah. was arrested. Well, amazing story. Just, just, just amazing. Yeah, fascinating. So it's been, it's been interesting covering it. You know, I, I, I basically covered it. You know, to write. You know, wrote a book about Susan to, to, you know, lend keep her high profile. Yeah. You know, because it was so, so pitiful that her, her her murder wasn't solved. You know, so I was trying to keep it high profile and keep her story out there. And it's a fascinating story and. You know, I love the old stories about Las Vegas and, you know, the way things used to be. And it was a fascinating story. And, and lo and behold, it's, um, you know, turned into this enormous story about Robert Durst now. You know, it's uh, amazing that, uh, you know, he's a household name now. Right. He, he's gone. Robert Durst has gone viral. <laughs> so... Yeah, and just 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 incredible. And, and I watched that trial, you know, the the first one about the dismembering the uh, Morris Black, you know. Uh, but you're right now; it's it's gotten. To, I guess because of the HBO thing too, you know. When you get the yeah, HBO tape, turned it viral. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay, so I think we covered a lot of stuff. Anything else you want to tell us before we go? Is there anything else? That's I did. That, I didn't uh, the second it. edition of uh, the murder of Beverly Hills is due out at the end of May, and and. Uh, I'll, I'll probably go to New York for um, my understanding is I'm going to be doing some interviews there and probably in L.A. as well. And, um, you know, looking forward to uh, watching watching the trial. I'll probably, if, if he makes it to California, uh, because he's not in very good health, I'll probably um, be in the courtroom for part of that. And we'll see how he's got a trial in uh, September on the gun charges in New Orleans, and we'll see how that pans out. And any appearances or book signings or anything you want to promote? Uh, yes, May 30th, Unicorn Bookstore in Ramona, California. Um, uh, we will we'll be launching um, Murder of uh, Murder of a Mafia Daughter. Okay, great. Okay, and uh, I'd like to have you back, too, by the way. And we can go over to uh, The Death in the Desert and uh, the Tupac book as well uh, in the future. I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to, too. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for, for coming on at the last second. I know we just booked this early today uh, and being patient with my technical problems and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, you're welcome. No okay. problem at all. Really okay. appreciate it. And, and by the way, when you, we're off now, right? No, no, we're still on. <laughs> oh, we're still on. Okay, I was going to tell you what, uh, about linking, but I'll tell you that later. Uh, about and what? also, I have a website, uh, kathyscott.com, and anybody can find me on psychologytoday.com. Okay, uh, kathyscott.com? Yes. Yeah, any other links, you want, and uh, psychologytoday.com, uh, any other links, just send it to me. And, and by the way, too, the, the blog, uh, your blog post on Opperman Report, blogspot.com, that's yours forever. So anytime you want to update something, you got a new book comes out, just send me an email, and I'll throw it right on it for you, no problem. I love it. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, good night.
Okay. Bye-bye. And here we had Kathy Scott. Fascinating information. Fascinating book. Uh, all these different books she's written here uh, uh, about uh, Robert Durst. A murder of a mafia daughter. The story behind uh, the suspicions. Robert Durst murdered Susan Berman. And uh, the life and tragic death of Susan Berman. Uh, we take a couple little messages here. I'll play some uh, ads. And then I'll, I'll be back with a few little announcements, upcoming guests, and upcoming shows and stuff that we're working on. And now a word from our sponsors. We are listener-sponsored, and we appreciate your donations. If you like the show, please visit OppermanReport.com and click on the Donate button. Or you can donate directly through PayPal at OppermanReport at gmail.com. We have Mike Ray of InfinityHomePlans.com. He's the host of Parlay over at CJ Mars Radio, Thursday evenings, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you need custom home designs, stock plans, or 3D work, he's your one-stop shop for home design and drafting needs. Mike Gray at InfinityHomePlans.com. At InfinityHomePlans.com. If you're looking for essential oils, stop by and check out Essentially Tammy on Facebook. She is Young Living Essential Oils Independent Distributor. Now, these are 100% therapeutic-grade oils. They help support the body's natural functions. You can visit her website posted on Essentially Tammy uh, to see the current deals or email at jocotammy, J-O-C-A-T-A-M-I at yahoo.com or call 352-239-8546, 352-239-8546. Hey, if you need a private investigator, go to my website, emailrevealer.com. Uh, we offer asset searches, locates, skip tracing, adoption investigations, online infidelity investigations. We can recover deleted text messages from a cell phone or trace an email to online dating websites to catch people cheating. That's emailrevealer.com or you can call 800-572-9762. 800-572-9762 for emailrevealer.com, my PI website. Pacific West Bamboo. Uh, it's your premier source for construction and craft-grade bamboo poles. Uh, they're announcing their latest project with EcoHead Event Sanitation, making bamboo composting bathrooms and porta-potties. Their first display will be at the Lucidity Festival in Santa Yanez, California, April 11th to the 13th. Come by and say hi and see what you can build with bamboo. Contact them uh, for any kind of event planning, display building, if you need construction grade or craft grade bamboo products, uh, call Amanda at 503-839-8126, 503-839-8126, or visit PacificWestBamboo.com, their brand new website. We're also sponsored by the New World Mexican Women. Uh, this is a rural Mexican craft 